I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. And I'm here, as always, with wonderful Willie, the legend maker, Bill Apter, and killer Ken Resnick. And gentlemen, back here for another week of wrestling with history. But today is a very special day. It's March the 16th. It is my son's first birthday. And it is Stone Cold Steve Austin Day. If you're biblical, it's John 316 Day. And this is the official launch of the brand new VOC Nation Wrestling Network logo. And we will talk later in the show about our upcoming premium content. The new website will be launching soon, but we've done a refresh on the brand. We got a lot of great, exciting things coming your way. But gentlemen, today we're well, talking well, first, first yeah, for both Bill and I, ha- happy birthday to your young son. Yes. And one yes. more you know, marking the importance of the day. Let's not forget it's just the day before St. Patrick's Day. It is well, you definitely know what? That. I, I, knew, I knew somebody was going to mention that. So <laughs> you people who have a video, which will be on our premium channels, uh, you can see my uh, St. Patrick's Day uh, uh, glasses. So 
people have been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks, lots of feedback about we took away the, the full video of the show and, and thousands of people were flocking to YouTube to listen to that or watch that. And I have a way that you can do that for a very, very low price that we'll talk about later in the show. And uh, there's wait, nothing- wait, wait, that's not the they meet you, me and Ken on the corner in a certain town and they give us a couple of bucks. We say thank you and go. That's the vaccine deal that we have. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. different thing, different thing. Nothing, though, that an Irish-German Jew likes better than St. Patrick's Day. That believes in Jesus. I forgot the Jesus part. That's That's important to me. All right, guys, Bruno Sammartino and Harley Race are the topics today. And you guys have interactions with both of those people. And for those of you who are new to the network, we take you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history, because our hosts lived through a lot of that history. And make sure you visit vocnation.com. Hit like or follow. We don't say subscribe anymore because that implies a fee. Like or follow on your favorite podcast app to the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed. All of our shows are right on that same feed. Ken, you look like you're you're uh, inquisitive. You look like you're uh, ready to say something. No, no. Oh. I, I was just, you know, kind of listening to where you were going, talking about the, the you know, upcoming different formats. There we go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, be exciting. So well, way- like, like, like Bill, myself and everyone that listens or views, we're just on the, you know, edge of every one of your words is all. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that drives me crazy is when you said hit the like button. Uh, I, there are people that I was with today and every other word from this gorgeous young lady was like, what do you do? Like you do that and like you do. So when you said hit the like button, that's what came into my head. So it's uh, it, it's funny because the the people that own the big podcasting networks are now conditioning people for for years and years and years. It was subscribe to this, subscribe to that. And now. They say that subscribe implies that you spend money. So we want you to say like and follow. So like and follow this show. So follow the feed, VOC Nation Wrestling Network, and you get all of our fine shows. And we'll talk about the premium stuff a little bit later. First of all, guys. And that's one of the big reasons so many people admire Bill Apter, because, you know, the word like to Bill Apter immediately conjures visions of gorgeous women. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. They don't wait, even have wait in the car. I'll be I'll be out in an hour. She's waiting for me. Harley Race. <laughs> Let's start there. Harley Race was born on April 11th, 1943 in St. Charles. And I'm sorry, in Quitman, Missouri. He died in St. Charles. Harley, one of the greatest of all time and certainly a legendary NWA champion. He had a run in the WWF for all of you people that never, uh, you know, your fandom came in the mid 80s where uh, Vince McMahon cartoonized professional wrestling and lots of people flocked to it. But Harley Race was a big, big part of professional wrestling's history. And I want to start with you, Ken Resnick, because you worked with Harley in the AWA when he came in to do Wrestle Rock, and then you probably spent more time with him when he made his way to the WWF. And I want to go backwards. I want to start there. Harley Race, this uh, very celebrated NWA champion, comes to the WWF, first as handsome Harley Race, and then they give him this over-the-top king gimmick. 
Tell me, at least in your conversations with Harley, what was the feedback from Harley behind the scenes? Was he upset that he wasn't in the title picture, that Hogan race wasn't a bigger thing? And how did he like the King gimmick? Um, You know, typical Harley, you know, he came in 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 the kayfabe era when the promoter, the booker called the shots So Harley was one of those, whether he embraced it or didn't like it, he didn't share. I mean, that was Harley. And and to to go back a a little bit, my my biggest exposure to Harley was well before WrestleRock in in my early times with the uh, AWA. I went down, uh, we covered a match at Keel Auditorium in St. Louis uh, it was NWA versus AWA champion Rick Martell against Harley Race. Uh, it went to a 60-minute, you know, Broadway time limit draw. And I still say it's one of the two greatest matches I ever witnessed at ringside. Um, and Harley's image preceded him in that there was no question Harley was viewed as one of the toughest SOBs in the business. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I don't mean that when I say SOB in any sort of bad way, he was tough as nails. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Bill, you, you had a lot of interaction with Harley as well, dating way back before the WWF run. Tell, tell me some stories about, I heard that, and, and you tell me if it's true, there's a story that Hulk Hogan tells about Harley jamming a gun into his stomach at a house show that WWF was running and Harley was still uh, kind of in that, that St. Louis uh, territory and Harley jabbed the gun in Hogan's stomach in the locker room and said, uh, you know, basically threatened him about being in his town and his territory. Is that, have you heard I that never, story? I never heard that story before. That's not the Harley race that I knew. The Harley race I first came upon was when he and uh, uh, Larry Hennig were teaming in the AWA, right? They, uh, uh, they did that, but, and I did, didn't know at that point what Harley race would become as a single star. So, Back in the National Wrestling Alliance, when he was touring places like Jim Crockett Promotions down in Florida, um, Mid-Atlantic region, uh, going everywhere all around the United States, I traveled many, many years with Harley. He educated me on a lot of the business. He was one of these people who was gentle at times, but he was a legitimate tough guy. Harley Race could shoot if he needed to shoot on somebody. You didn't cross. Not not with that gun, though. No, no. Good point. (laughs) But uh, Harley was the type of guy that you wanted to be close to. You wanted to be his friend because he was not a guy you didn't want to not like you. Um, I was with Harley for two weeks in Japan when we were all brought over for uh, Baba the Giant. And uh, with this one story before we talk about his wrestling style, which I think Ken and I need to get into, is that uh, he had told me one night on this tour that we were, and scared the crap out of me. He said, well, 
for the next town, we used to take the bullet train from all over Japan. And the other towns, we'd take a, a bus that uh, all the wrestlers were in. And this one night, he knocks on my door in the hotel. He says, I hear you're coming on the plane with us tomorrow. I said, the plane? Yep. Four-seater. Four-seater? You, me, Bruiser Brody. And I forgot who he said was piloting it. And he says, when those damn thunderclouds hit this effing small plane, the plane goes effing this way. And there's a good chance you could die tomorrow. So you might want to give your seat up and give it to one of the other boys. I did that. Yeah, I would have done that too. He absolutely, but that's what his interviews were like on TV. He'd get on and he'd make you watch. This is before the way before the WWF, but he'd get on there and say, you know something, Ric Flair, you're playing with dynamite. And you may, he made you listen. There are guys today that really can't, can't do that. And in the ring, Ken, I think you would agree with me that he was a ring general. Yeah, he very much dictated the, the pace of, of the match. And one of the things you addressed, the, the kind of book on Harley, especially amongst you know the veterans talking to the younger guys, you're right. Harley could shoot, Harley could work stiff, but Harley, the book was Harley would do that if he felt you weren't selling enough or putting enough of an effort into the match that, you know, if you were doing everything he thought you should be doing, he did not try and, and, and shoot or work stiff, but that if Harley went to that, that was kind of his way of saying to his, you know, opponent who he was working with, I don't think you're respecting the business enough. Correct. Absolutely correct. Um, every time he had a tough match, this is when I was traveling with him once in a while, there would be another wrestler in the car. He always had to stop at a convenience store and get a case of beer. He literally lived on beer after the matches. That was one of the personal things, but I knew his, uh, he, his first... in other words, he could have been the fourth free bird. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they had harder stuff than beer though. Uh, I have some free bird stories. We need to do a show about the free birds. You do time. the free birds. I have a free bird story that'll blow this out of the water. But anyway, anyway, so uh, the, the other thing with Harley is he was one of the office uh, consultants in, uh, in St. Louis, which was the capital of the National Wrestling Alliance. Uh, and he directed a lot of the chatter and talk about who he thinks should be used and who should go where, but it was always someone that had to be believable champion or a believable wrestler. Harley did not like gimmicks. When he went to the WWF, I think it was pressure that brought it because everybody was going to the WWF. It's like, well, why not Harley race already? And at that point, Vince McMahon was probably paying him more money than Harley had ever made in his life. And he was a family man too, he was taking care of his family. I think that the King of the Ring thing when it was first pitched to him, didn't go over badly because Harley always considered himself yeah. king. He really did. Oh, I, 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 I think you're right. <clears throat> and when that was first kind of, you know, brought 
to the table, we're going to do this king of the ring. Um, I think everybody liked it because it was an initially brought forward as very much a, a sign of respect. And, yeah. and one thing I will say the word uh, about Vince was not necessarily once they got there in terms of the booking or, or the, the gimmick, but Vince, you know, monetarily paid a lot of the veterans out of respect for what they've done for the business. Correct. I think you, you know, and, and Vince did do that. And as much as, as Vince takes shots for, you know, this gimmick or that gimmick or this kind of booking or the 50-50 booking, when he initially brought them in monetarily and financially, he basically, that was Vince's way of paying his respects to the veterans of the business. But once you got there, you know, that it could be a different story. Sure. Was, was the King gimmick a way to give Harley a title without giving him a belt? Do you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah. 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 Um, from, you know, everything, you know, my understanding, and I, I certainly could be wrong. Um, I think the, the King of the ring gimmick, uh, came to fruition not necessarily with Harley in mind. Correct. You know, it was a good pay-per-view. Let's do this. And I think, Bruce, you, you're right. I think it was a way, you know, back then they didn't have 400 different title belts. Uh, it was a way of giving someone a major push recognition without putting a title on them. But then once it came and they started thinking about it, Harley was really the perfect king of the ring. But I, I, I don't think it was done as far as let's do this so we can recognize Harley without giving him a bell. It was, hey, this is a great idea. This is going to be a pay-per-view. Let's go with this. Now, who, do, who are we going to make king of the ring? So I, 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 I don't think it was done specifically with Harley in mind. Um, another thing here is that Harley exuded championship quality. He really did. Sure. And the reason I say that is because he was one of the people in the lineage of Dory Funk Jr., Jack Frisco, that made the belt totally res respectable. You know, people would say to me, oh, I know that this wrestling's all fake, except for the title matches. And when you go to a wrestling show, when you saw Harley race in his classic matches against Ric Flair and people like that, or in any territory against anybody, you never thought that what he was doing was that fake wrestling at all. He was a champion in every, in every way. And he was also a, a, a good um, backstage general. I saw him many times sitting with guys after their matches and they'd say, you know, hey, Harley, how did I do? And he'd sit down with them and he was never like, man, that was ridiculous. He was just very, listen, what I would have done in a situation like that. He was a director that way. So he leaves a, a hell of a, uh, of a legacy because up until, uh, up until he retired and even after he retired and was going to the conventions, people at the conventions, and Bruce, you've been to a hundred conventions yeah. like I have, people at the conventions were waiting in line just to meet him because he had that iconic superstar sports aura about him. 
Bill, I've since stopped drinking. And I, I used to joke with Ken on the air all the time that my, my wife, who's my third wife, uh, has heard too many stories about conventions that I am barred for life from wrestling conventions. Is bar and wrestling go together? Well, you, you know, Bill, you probably heard the same story I have. Yes, Bruce has been barred for life from conventions. He's trying to claim it was his wife. But, you know, the story from a lot of other people it was his actions that got him barred. I, no, I, he's just trying to claim it's his wife. We do a whole show on that. But back to Har back to Harley, back to Harley. Um, I photographed some of his greatest matches. I photographed him in Japan, and the the fans here in the United States were, you know, they really bought him as a respected champion. And in Japan, Harley Race was like a god. And I know people have always said that, you know, Neil Mascaras is like that, but Harley Race. When I was in Japan with him. Any place we went, sometimes during the day, we would just go out for lunch or something, and people would just stop in the street, and they all knew he was, you know, oh, Mr. Hollywood. They all knew him. I just, I can't get over how respected he was. And on the personal end, he and I, I would call him every, every couple of weeks just to chat with him about, uh, he talked to me about that he's wrestling Kerry Von Erich next week, and in Texas, he talked to me that he's going to Continental and wrestling Bullet Bob Armstrong. He's called me and tell me, let me know uh, that he's wrestling uh, Manny Fernandez in, uh, uh, in the Carolinas. Our boy, the yeah. Raging Bull. Yeah. BS with the Bull every Friday right here, VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Yes. So, uh, um, but in the ring, Harley could do two things very well. He could brawl really well. And the other thing is he was what we used to call in the magazines. He, he was an excellent scientific or technical wrestler. And Ken, when you saw Harley in the ring, it was like watching a textbook of holds at times, wasn't it? It, it was. I mean, he, he was one you could really tell was not only dictating the match, but dictating the pace as, as well. And to back up what Bill said, and I, I can't remember who it was, not one of the major matches. Bruce can probably look this up. Uh, Harley was part of the, you know, Wrestle Rock. Uh, not any, you know, sort of big match, but, you know, he was on the card. And Harley came out ahead of his match wearing his Bill and Bruce, I'm sure, remembers that, you know, a blue and red robe, mm -hmm. not not a, a, a Ric Flair. It was just a blue and red robe, but that was kind of his trademark. And being at the Metrodome in front of the, you know, 20-some thousand, when Harley came out, there was a little bit more of a, a hush to the buzz of the crowd because you could tell people were going, there's Harley Race. Yeah. I mean, he he respected the business as much as any wrestler ever had. But by his interviews, as Bill alluded to, the seriousness of them, his work in the ring, he also commanded a respect from the fans. And a lot of the fans at the Metrodome had not seen Harley in a long time since his run with Larry Hennig. So when he came out, he just commanded this presence and attention of the crowd. 
I saw I saw the uh, a lot of wrestlers try and imitate what he do the uh, go up on the top rope and come down with that headbutt headbutt and nobody nobody can uh, uh, can do that with him. And in terms of finishing holds, he had so many different finishing holds there. And I always remember the picture uh, of him. You know, the referee always holding his arm up and him holding the NWA title up. I photographed his classic title versus title match against superstar Billy Graham at the Orange Bowl. Now, Bill, before you get into that, I, I want to ask this because I, I saw this in the research leading up to this show. Harley Race, while NWA champion, it was regular for him to wrestle the champions of the other territories. So superstar Graham, Bob Backlund, uh, and uh, well, those are the two that I that well, I saw. Oh, Nick Backlund, I'm sorry. Backlund and Graham. Cartel yeah. when, when Rick had the AWA belt. Yeah, and, but Backlund and, and Graham were not considered reg regional champions. In the magazines, we put them. You know, they were world champions. They were the WWF world champions. Right. So, but the champion like Harley Race and like Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. before him went to every territory and generally would wrestle the number one contender who was like the Texas heavyweight champion or the mid-Atlantic champion or, you know, whatever territory they were in. Was there ever a clean finish, either of you guys, was there ever a clean finish when you saw, like I was looking at WrestleRock and, and there's a ton of interpromotional matches as part of that Pro Wrestling USA and, and a lot of stuff got thrown out. When they did the champion versus champion, was there ever a clean finish to those, five, those matches? There was always controversy. Yeah, I mean, be, be, because it was no promoter was going to agree to a unification type bout where his champion was going to lose the belt. So, like I said, one of the best matches I ever saw was Harley and, and Rick Martel, uh, 60 minute oh, draw. God, that was great. In, in, in St. Louis. And, you know, you both know how great both those men were, you know, in the ring. Rick was maybe a little more scientific than Harley, Harley was a little tougher. But, I mean, it was one of the best matches I've ever seen. But you're right, Bruce. Draws, outside interference, you know, something where both men would emerge with their title belt. And not being hurt. Either yeah. one. You know, and when he retired, um, he went uh, back to Missouri and he opened uh, um, a, a promotion there and took it upon himself and his, uh, his son – um, to open up a wrestling school. So he never really got out of it until he had some surgery later in his life that stopped him from getting in there, but he still could stand around the ring and tell people what to do, even, even in horrible physical condition. Um, the last time I saw him at one of the conventions, um, which your wife lets me go to, uh, at one of the conventions, Wait, 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 wait. Why are you getting permission from Bruce's wife to go? I don't understand. We'll, we'll discuss that when we do the special. On oh, okay. But uh, I remember the last time I saw him at um, Legends of the Ring in, uh, in New Jersey, in Monroe, New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't feeling great. But as soon as he'd see me or some of the other quote unquote old timers there, and his head, we'd lift his head up while he was signing pictures, and he'd go like, Bill Apter, you're going to put me on the cover? Even though I wasn't with the magazines anymore. 
He always yeah. valued, you know, uh, there are a lot of guys that wanted to pose and didn't want to pose, but anytime after a match, no matter how tired he was after an NWA title match, he'd always find a, a minute or two to, to give to me. And I'll say this incredibly nice guy, I, you know, back when, I started, you know, you helped me break into this world, Bill. And, and there's a lot of people that unless I mentioned your name, I wouldn't get any airplay at all. I couldn't, but Harley was so genuine. And this was one of my first conventions. And I was there, I was there for one wrestling.com doing some video work with you. And, uh, and Harley, I went up to Harley and before I even, could really say what I was there doing. He almost instantly agreed. I think he could sense that I was green and he was just willing to help out. And he knew that I respected him because you can sense when somebody respects you, right? It's something that happens in your eyes. And I, I always, I'll never forget that because Harley was in bad shape at that point. And I'll never forget that interaction and really the the presence that he had it was just uh just a genuine guy but you knew that even he was in a wheelchair he'd still take me out if he had to (laughs) oh absolutely absolutely harley was harley was one of the toughest guys in the business by the way you we talked about uh japan he was always huge over in australia i mean they he went for weeks for jim barnett wrestling over there in australia and he was just so that they just ate him up over there. Yeah, he was like I said, he was a respected uh, champion. Even when he didn't have the belt, he was still the champion. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah. I'll share, uh, Bill mentioned it. Um, The last time I saw Harley Race was at Kurt Hennig's wake. Uh, Harley was there, you know, came into town. He was very close to Larry Hennig. Um, and and I'll, I'll share this, not in, in any way to, to put myself over, but the last time I saw Harley, he probably paid me the, the greatest compliment in terms of wrestling that anyone has ever done. Um, Harley, he wasn't in a wheelchair yet, but he had the, the canes for, for both arms. And, you know, he was sitting in a chair, you know, I, you know, talked to Larry for a little bit and was walking around um, and I saw Harley sitting there. So I went over to say hello. And, and basically, if you will pay my respects, not that he was had passed, but the, to, to Harley race. And as I was walking over, uh, Harley had someone, not, not a wrestler, but I think an aide with him. And Harley said, help me up, help me up, get me up. Uh, and I was a little taken back, but the gentleman got Harley up and he had the two canes. And I, I kind of, you know, looked at Harley with a, a, a quizzical look. I didn't understand. And, and he turned to, to his aide and said, for this guy, I'm going to stand up. Yeah. And he reached out and took my hand. And he said, you know, 
every time, everything you ever did that I saw, it was always about the boys, never about you. And for you, I'll stand up. And that was probably, I mean, it says a lot about Harley, uh, you know, like Bill and Bruce both have said, the, the respect for he had for people in the business that respected the business. But for, you know, Harley to, to do that and say that and back it up by the fact that, you know, it should have been everyone else just about in the room standing for Harley. Harley wanted to get up when he saw me coming over. Uh, and you know that's probably the the greatest you know respect I was ever shown by someone that I respected. You know it's funny when you look at Harley six one two fifty three was how he was billed, and he worked a lot in Japan with Giant Baba. But I don't think a lot of people know this on October the thirteenth, nineteen seventy eight, in the middle of the ring, Harley Race body slammed Andre the Giant. He did it again on January 7th, 1979, outside the ring. But, you know, Hulk Hogan was always billed as the first man, brother, to body slam Andre the Giant. But Harley Race did it on October I shot 13th, it. I shot it. He did it in Virginia when I was there with Jim Crockett Promotions. Harley never told me that he was going to slam him, but he says, just watch the match with the Giant, and I'm going to do a certain thing with him that's going to knock your camera out of your out of your hands. And I got, I got the photo. We ran it in the magazine. Was that the first time that anybody had done that to your knowledge? With, with Harley slamming? Uh, anybody slamming on, but was Harley the first person? Oh, I'm, sure to do that, it? I'm sure Andre was slammed back in his early days, back in Montreal from uh, Don Leo Jonathan. Uh, he had a huge feud with Don Leo Jonathan, who by the way, will be the subject of one of our, we're going to talk about this, a classic audio yeah. interview that no one has ever heard that I happen to have. Uh, yeah, but we'll, we'll discuss that. But I think Don Leo Jonathan was probably the guy who slammed Andre first. Interesting. But Harley did it twice, 78 and 79. And Vince has a way of wiping out anything that happened prior to uh, when he took over the world, right? Well, the fans didn't know about it yeah. unless it was running the in the magazines and the Andre that wrestled for Vince McMahon in terms of his weight was a different Andre than the Andre that Harley, that Don Leo Jonathan at least uh, slammed. Well, you, you know, the fact that uh, Andre let Harley slam him, uh, obviously Andre agreed, but I think that's a testament to the respect that Harley had amongst his peers. Oh yeah, but, but. Vince McMahon Sr. was Andre's agent. And be before Andre went to the WWF with the first round of like with Hogan and stuff at Shea Stadium, Vince Sr. protected him and wouldn't let anyone slam yeah. him. No, but, but I'm saying yeah. over in Japan, obviously Andre, if he didn't respect Harley, would have said, no, you're not slamming. Oh, yeah. You're not going to do that to me. Yeah. And... Uh, Harley coming to the WWF in 86, working with Bobby Heenan, Harley being such a serious guy and Bobby Heenan not being very serious, but Bobby could really get people over. How did Harley feel about working with well, the manager? You know, if, if you think about it, uh, un, until Vince basically, you know, gave up the business, 
during the kayfabe era, if you look back, you know, Bobby did not have the silliness. He right. kind of, he, he had it with Gorilla on primetime, but in terms of his interviews, everything he did around the ring, Bobby had the same respect and showed the same respect for the business that, that Harley did, you know, until the kayfabe era w- w- was dead. So there was never, you know, any, any problem with that. Um, and especially if you look at the interviews Bobby did, you know, with Harley and, and for Harley, there wasn't any silliness a, a, about him. Yeah. It was the same um, dynamic as he had with Nick Bockwinkle. Right. There was no exactly. There was, I mean, yeah. uh, and again, it was one of those things that, you know, Bobby got started in Indianapolis. So probably was, you know, more familiar with, Harley just, you know, in terms, you know, geographically, you know, closer to, to St. Louis and probably had some interaction. But again, that, you know, Bobby, until the Cape Vabra was broke, had tremendous respect for the business uh, and for everyone that respected the business. So, that, you know, Harley and Bobby were more alike back in that era than you would tend to think. So uh, Harley Race also back in the AWA, he was billed as uh, handsome Harley Race and Larry Hennig was pretty boy Larry, pretty pretty boy Larry Hennig. So I don't know what changed Harley Race from going away from that whole pretty boy thing that maybe he wanted to be like Gorgeous George or something. But I, as a, a, a fan of wrestling and loving to watch it back then, I am so indebted to him for becoming such an amazing professional wrestler, not a character, but a professional wrestler. He is what a professional wrestler should be. Two words, Harley Race. Harley Race. Well, real quick before we wrap it up and head to break, Harley Race really put over Ric Flair and he he was part of really getting Ric Flair into the fame that we came to know him. I mean, it would have happened anyway, but Harley put Flair over in the center of the ring. Flair beat Harley for the title. I what did, thinking- I'm sure you were. When Tell me, what did Harley, did Harley see in Flair? Did he see the future when he first met Flair? Tell me about that relationship, that dynamic and the respect that Harley had for Ric Flair. Well, I think that Harley probably met Rick in the AWA when Rick didn't have his persona, didn't hasn't hadn't developed his personality. So I don't know the the real answer to that, but I do know that the National Wrestling Alliance would meet and they would decide what was going to happen with the championship. And I think at that time, Jim Crockett Promotions had made Ric Flair such a major star that they saw that they needed to uh, elevate him even higher. And Harley was the type of guy where if the office suggested he do something, he was in on it and he went with it. That's, that's the best I can tell you. So you don't think it was Harley necessarily like I, I, I talked to Manny Fernandez on his debut episode, by the way, check it out. No BS with the bull on, on Manny's debut episode. He talked a lot about Terry Funk being instrumental and in putting him over and Terry kind of selecting him. And, and we're going to talk about that more this week on the show. Selecting uh, Terry selecting 
Manny to be that NWA Florida champion and wanting to put him over. Oh, I didn't Florida know Florida championship. Florida, yeah, not, for the, not the not, not the, the world, world title. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you suggesting that Manny was was embellishing his championship run? No. Because I get so much hate mail about people. Listen, I've talked for anybody that, and, and this is just my opinion. And I, I've done this show with Manny. Now we had him on Wrestling With History. And I've talked to him lots off the air. I get a lot of hate mail from people who challenge what Manny has to say. I will say this, and I'll say it one last time here outside of Manny's show. I, Manny has a lot of conviction in the things that he says. And I don't know if they're true or not. Only Manny does. But uh, you can continue to send me that hate mail and I will gladly read it and uh, respect your opinion as well. Leave it at that. Interesting. Uh, now yeah. back to, back to you. Sorry, NWA, I, had to, I no, had to cover that. It's all right. Yeah. At the NWA conventions, I was at several of them and it took two or three years for them to let me come into the locked room with all the wrestlers and where they were deciding. Well, it was a group of people who would at the NWA conventions like a Terry Funk suggest like, well, Manny might be good. He's in Florida. Maybe Eddie Graham should give him the bell. There were, it was like sitting around exchanging ideas of, of who to do that. But Harley would not have given the belt up to someone that he knew would not um, respect it. If they would have said, Harley, we want you to drop the title tonight to uh, Ed Fleurman, you know, he's just new in the territories, had two quick wins, but we want him to be world champion. Uh-uh, wouldn't have happened. He wanted to take care of the belt. Flair had established himself in a lot of different territories at that time. Sure. Flair was getting a lot of ink locally and in the magazines. It was prime time for that to happen. And, you know, they switched the belt back you know, a few times there. And, um, yeah, so Harley, it hit... It takes two to tango, yeah. right, Ken? Yes. yes. It's got to be one, both guys. When a guy loses, he shouldn't be hurt either. And Harley losing that title to Ric Flair for a few minutes, Harley was in the background. But I, I was going to say it, it takes two to tango unless you happen to be in Montreal. <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm saying that Harley was in the background for a little while there, but he lost nothing. He lost nothing. He was back in every territory. He was still considered a champion, even without the belt. And final well, thoughts on Harley race. Well, and, and, and I think Bill's exactly right in that at that point in his career, Harley commanded enough respect that w when they were talking about having him drop the belt, I'm sure it was a conversation that was had and they got Harley's okay before moving forward. Yeah, Harley, by the way, was a big part of the um, office in uh, Kansas City, mm -hmm. with, uh, along with Buck Robley, not Buck Robley, um, uh, Bob Geigel, um, and some of the other uh, wrestlers there who were all big members of the uh, National Wrestling Alliance. So Harley had a hand in running territories as well. He did everything in the pro wrestling, wrestling business. He was a consummate professional in the business. I have to talk more about Buck Robley sometime. Buck Robley claims to be the guy that really set modern wrestling into motion with uh, some of his ideas. Very fascinating guy and 
somebody that modern fans might not know a lot of about, but I think we can talk about There's him an here. interview on one wrestling video that I did with him that garnered tons of views yeah. way back when. But let me tell you something just offside with Buck Robley. He made his uh, mark in uh, Amarillo uh, where Dick Murdoch, Dusty Rhodes, Blackjack Mulligan, all these guys came out of. And he was one of the toughest wrestler, toughest people in the business ever. Another guy you didn't want to cross. But Harley Race, to wrap it up, the respect that I have, even though he's no longer on the earth, I there were very few wrestlers that I could respect in my life like this. And he was one of the prime guys. The other guy being Bruno San Martino. Yeah. And we'll talk about Bruno after the break. Ken, any any final thoughts on Harley? No, I, I'm I'm with Bill. You know, I've I've worked with some of the the greats, but uh, I had as much respect for Harley's ability, uh, his thought process, his respect for the business as as anyone. Wait a minute, Ken. Do you remember? Do you remember Harley's ring ring chatter? If you got Harley in a hold and his arm was hurting, do, do you remember what he sounded like? His voice would get higher pitched. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but he would do this. And he always used to say, I can't believe you know that. He'd go, the guy would ring his arm and go, cha, yeah, 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 cha, cha. You remember that? Yeah, he would laugh and it would be, it would be a, a it, it was one of those things where, Harley would sometimes laugh in the ring, but if it was low pitched, he was just laughing. Oh yeah, yeah, but he had I, at a higher pitch, it was because he was hurting. Oh yeah, but he was—he had a lot of wrestlers have different language in the ring, and he used to always get on me for because he'd be in a hole down with somebody putting him in a hole, like an Ernie Ladd way way back, and he'd be there like yeah 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 yeah. yeah. And as soon as he'd get on the ring and he'd be going back toward the dressing room. And once he got in the dressing room, I was behind him and he turned around, he'd say, how was it? And I'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd say, get out of here. Oh boy. All right. Harley race. uh, One of the greatest of all time. And uh, we're, we're going to try to do justice on Bruno today too. We probably won't get uh, all the way through Bruno. So we'll have to do another episode uh, just spotlighting Bruno Guys, before we get into the break, I do want to make this announcement, and uh, we're going to be opening up a premium tier on uh, VOC Nation. There are actually three premium tiers, and uh, you'll get there by going to premium.vocnation.com, and it will launch officially on April the 1st, but you're going to want to get in line now. (laughs) April Fool's! Right, that's it. Is it really happening that day? April Fools. It is happening that day, uh, but maybe, maybe, I, maybe I should have second thoughts now. Maybe we should change. The day. April second. April second. Uh, April first. Three. No, wait a minute. You know why? Because you'd be a fool not to sign up for one of these three tiers. Very good. That's the mind, the creative genius that is Bill After. Um, three tiers. Insider tier is just three dollars a month. It includes full commercial free audio and video so full videos not just the trailers that you're getting on youtube and twitter right now and facebook but full commercial free audio and video versions of wrestling with history 
in the room with Brady Hicks and former WCW star, the maestro, no BS with the bull and full transparency. The video is of me. Uh, Manny does, uh, does an audio only show, but you'll still get a commercial free and you get to see me. Uh, not that that's any, any, uh, great thing and then my big break with jerry strauss jerry is the brother of uh former impact wrestling and current wwe star he was known as robbie e rob rob echo uh jerry strauss with my big break and he's got a ton of great interviews lined up uh some interesting names uh, of uh, the recent past that you'll enjoy and we'll have more on that in the coming weeks. You'll also get ad-free archived interviews from the history of VOC Nation. A lot of people that haven't been or that are not with us anymore. So all that in just that $3 tier. If you double that and go to $6, you get all of that plus, Bill, archived footage, audio of some of, I mean, it's basically the life and times of Bill After. I have... uh back from the uh, 70s, classic audio interviews that I did with every territory. I just happened to have a few seconds. You know, a lot of people, since we're going to be talking about Bruno, yeah, and this is just a sample, a lot of people don't know that Bruno worked in the territory run by Dick the Bruiser, and he feuded with the Valiants and Bobby Heenan. So you'll get stuff digitized that it was a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a you loss. Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. That's when he was Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion, working for, working for, but the, you can see the quality is top tier quality. It's funny, Bruno. <laughs> I, I always think he sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. They, they have a, a very a similar. Really? really? Yeah. It, de- it depends on on uh, the depends on the interview. But that's in just classic stuff back from uh, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, Chief J. Strongbow, the Grand Wizard, Captain Lou Albano. I mean, hours worth of this stuff that will only be available on VOC Nation Wrestling Nations. Um, premium tiers premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com and look up voc nation wrestling network remember that's not yet we'll let you know when you can start to sign up the launch is april 1st so if you go to that website you won't quite get anything yet the next tier is the hall of fame tier and for 15 dollars, you get all of that And then this is very, very cool. Once a quarter, you get to take part in a live quarterly Q&A with selected VOC Nation hosts. And that may include, you'll get at least two of the two or more of uh, Bill After, Ken Resnick, Wes Briscoe, Shelly Martinez, Manny Fernandez, and uh, the gloves are off. You can ask anything you want. It'll be live and only for that premium audience. So I'm going to sign up now because I want, I have questions for Ken Resnick. Now, Ken, you know, uh, we're guaranteed to get Granny Hulkster and Malcolm and Ratboy, the, the old callers that we used to have when we did the talk show. Yeah, and, and I, I apologize that Dave, my q and I can't make that one. <laughs> but, but I do have one request. 
that break we were going to take 16 minutes ago and have talked about like five times can we take because i really want to go get a glass of water there we go we're going to take a break right now remember get in line get your affairs in order get the money together it just starts at three dollars a month this is wrestling with history you're listening worldwide in the voc nation wrestling network for over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend, the raging bull, Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Check out all of our new artwork, new logos. We'll have new merchandise coming soon. Just go to VOCNation.com. And uh, guys, before we get into Bruno, I just want to say next week we're going to be talking about the one and only the eighth wonder of the world video I stand up so we can see that video listeners or watchers will see that we're talking about the eighth wonder of the world andre the giant next week and both of you guys had really significant time with andre can you uh you spent a lot of time with andre at one point right uh spent a day with him uh, at his ranch down in ellerby north carolina can't wait. Can't wait. So don't miss it next week right here on Wrestling With History. All right. We're talking about downtown Bruno, right? Harvey yeah, Wimple. Bruno, right. <laughs> Bruno San Martino. Who, who The Rock, just as you know, uh, I believe The Rock bought him a car recently because The Rock, when he was just uh, um, um, Dwayne Johnson, wrestling down in uh, the Memphis area, used to stay at his, uh, at downtown Bruno's house. And uh, The Rock just bought him a car recently when The Rock was Rocky Maivia. And and the other thing about Bruno Lauer, just real quick before we get into San Martino, Bruno Lauer, the, the heart on that guy was a heart of gold because all the way up until the end of the giant Gonzalez El Gigante's death, he was sending money down there because... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Gonzalez uh, was was in a bad way. So um, we won't be talking about that, Bruno, today. Talking about Bruno San Martino. And listen, we're only we only got about 10 minutes left. So uh, oh. we're, we're going to just scratch the surface and then we will get a, a show just on Bruno in the upcoming weeks. And we're going to poll. So make sure that you follow at VOC Nation on Twitter. Uh, follow at what at um, I'm sorry after one wrestling as well that's Bill Apter's Twitter this show is Resnick after VOC but follow VOC Nation we'll put out a poll and I want to hear what you the fans want to hear us talk about what do you want to hear not me but Bill and Ken uh, we're going to really do these spotlight shows uh, for the the foreseeable future 
and we want to know what you want to hear. I, um, I think they want to want us to do a show where you just read all your hate mail. <laughs> Lots of meantime, hate. I'm hearing in my head from when I was on the WWE Network doing a guest spot. I, I'm sorry, oh. Randy. What you're hearing voices in your head? They're I talking to you. That. No, but I'm hearing in my I'm hearing in my head from the the quote that I gave about Bruno Sammartino on his biography on the WWE Network, I hear the 21,000 fans at the garden in my head all yelling, Bruno, Bruno, Bruno. There was goosebumps in the air when Bruno Sammartino would make his way to the ring. And Bruno Sammartino, we, we talked about Harley Race for most of this show. And I mentioned to you that I respected Bruno it was one of the guys I respected, like Harley Race. And Bruno was one of the first guys who told the other guys that I was all right. He was one of the first guys to open the doors to me. He was very bitter at the magazines. They had written a lot of stories about him that were fake. Yeah, just for sensationalism purposes. And uh, I told him, I said, I'm not going to do that. And I went back to my boss, Mr. Weston. And I said, I want to do a real interview with him. And that cleared me. And that started, my Bruno put me over to the other guys that helped my career. Well, so, Bill, you, you're alleging that back in the day, there was actually fake news in the wrestling magazines? What? Wasn't fake. Before I got started, and we should do a whole show on the wrestling magazines. Because <laughs> Stanley Weston, who was my mentor and the publisher, used to take license and do sensationalism type of stories. And there was one about Bruno and his family. Um, as, as you know, he was, uh, his family, the Nazis had come into the town where he lived and uh, uh, the terror, they lived up in the mountains. They had to live in the caves and stuff. And I'm going off topic here, but Mr. Weston put out a, this is your life story that included, you know, like Bruno's six-year-old sister taking a, um, uh, a knife and killing a Nazi and stuff like that. It never happened. Bruno used to tell me how that embarrassed him when his friends would say, is this story true? So I went and I did what was probably the very first shoot interview in a wrestling magazine where I did an entire Q&A on Bruno San Martino. They didn't call him the living legend for nothing. He was one of the most instrumental human beings in that business, nobody ever took the world by storm like he did. Ken, by the time that you really interacted with Bruno, it was he was winding down. And his relationship with the WWF at that time was really winding down. He had worked there for so many years, uh, from 1963 until uh, 1988, I guess it was, when he left uh, Superstars of Wrestling. What was your interaction with Bruno? You you did some commentary work with him, and he wasn't really in the ring, but you must have interacted doing uh, backstage interviews and, and on taping these. The the first time I met Bruno, uh, he was it was obvious and well known that it was already a very strained relationship uh, between you know Bruno and and Vince. And the first time I met Bruno we were doing interviews uh, in Pittsburgh and Bruno came to the arena late afternoon 
not that he had, you know, any part, uh, you know, of, of the show. He just kind of came to say hello to some of the boys and the production people in the ring crew uh, that he had worked with for so many years. And, you know, he came into the room and, you know, I immediately, you know, recognized him, you know, knew who he was. I'm thinking, you know, I was still a, a, a not a mark, but still a, certainly a fan of the business. And I'm going, there's Bruno San Martino. Yeah. Uh, and then Bruno just come, came walking up and, and introduced himself like, you know, I would have no idea uh, who he was. And, you know, we talked for a few minutes. Uh, he was wearing like, I still remember he was wearing a green and black kind of crew neck sweater, um, and talked for a few minutes. And then, you know, I had to go back and do interviews and he just kind of walked away. And, and I thought to myself, I mean, that's Bruno San Martino, boy, you talk about, uh, at least in my, that limited interaction, what a humble guy, you know, he was that, you know, he obviously still watched the shows, knew who I was. But here he comes up and just, just to, you know, introduce himself and, and not to me, but there were a couple of new production guys that he hadn't recognized and he did the same thing. He walked up and extended his hand um, and introduced himself. I mean, he was a, a, a class act and then it was, you know, re repaired to the point um, he came back. Uh, I think the next time we were in Pittsburgh um, and did uh, an interview for superstars plugging the next card at the Pittsburgh arena. Um, and then a couple shows later, they wanted to do uh, tape a couple of the matches, had me do the play by play and, and Bruno came out uh, to do the color with me. Hmm. Um, How was so, that working with uh, the living legend? Um, I mean, it was amazing in that like, Harley, he commanded the respect of, of everyone ar around, but working with him, you know, he didn't have any kind of ego. I mean, he never stepped on me. It was very easy to work with, you know, didn't hesitate to, to talk about what was going on in, in somewhat of a shoot style. If he didn't approve of what was taking place in the ring, you know, he would criticize, but very respectful, very easy to work with. Yeah, yeah Ken. Go ahead, Bill. No, I, I was, was going to say, I'm, I'm going to take it way back to when I was a uh, teenager in the 60s. I had seen him on television on Vince McMahon Sr. shows at the Capitol Arena uh, from Washington on Thursday nights. And uh, they were putting him over as the Italian Superman, and no one had ever knocked him off his feet. And I'll never forget, I was at my grandmother's house, and she was asking me, you know, how does, what is this all about? And I said, well, Bruno is the good guy. And this other guy, Tiger Jack Vansky, is the bad guy. And Bruno San Martino has never been knocked off his feet. So as soon as the bell rang, Tiger Jack Vansky comes out of his corner, tackles Bruno, knocks him off his feet. Wow. So you tasted it. I, I did. It was, the first, it was the first time I had. And I remember when I got into the business, I said to Bruno, I was one of those kids that saw Tiger Jack Vansky. But I'm going to tell you the, the Bruno story that has always been in my head because it was a very sad story. And I know I have a million Bruno stories. We're going to have to do an, an hour yeah. show on Bruno one yeah, time. For sure. Bruno was at Sunnyside Garden wrestling and uh, one of the Garibaldi brothers, Chick Garibaldi. 
I was probably 14 years old at the time. Uh, match ended, Bruno put him in the bear hug. Garibaldi gave up and fell to the mat. They took him out of the ring, if I remember correctly, on a stretcher. He died in the dressing room later, several hours later. So me being a fan, at the end of the show, I ran around to the outside dressing room entrance. And there were a whole bunch of teenage kids like me just, and Bruno came out with the great boxing champion, Primo Carnero, who was a wrestler at that point. Hmm. And I, Bruno was looking around and you could tell he was so upset that Chick Garibaldi died after that match. And I said to Bruno, he got near me. I said, Bruno, it wasn't your fault. And before he could open his mouth, Primo Carnero, who was like Andre size, turned his face to me and went, get the hell out of here. Scared the daylights out. I told Bruno, Bruno that story. And he said, he actually, he didn't know who the kid was. It was me, but he actually remembered and he said, Primo was one of the most genuine, nice guys in the whole world. But I never forgot that because that was one of the most traumatic experiences in Bruno's career. And then, of course, the night he beat Buddy Rogers at Madison Square Garden in like 63 seconds. I wasn't allowed in there because I was under 13 years old. But that changed the entire business of Vince McMahon Sr. once Bruno became champion because the the ethnic audience, the Italians and even the Spanish people, the Latinos would come to support him. Yeah, and, and the yeah. New York, that territory, I mean, in Philadelphia, it's a big Italian uh, ethnic area of the country, or at least oh, yeah. it was yeah. uh, for yeah. years and years and years. Um, Garibaldi passing, was that the result of something that happened in the ring? He had a heart attack, allegedly. So the doctors used to, before the matches, they used to check everybody. They gave people physicals and he had to have been cleared by the New York State Athletic Commission. To well, get and people don't realize this. I was, I was listening to uh, something else, an, another show, but wrestlers back, because it wasn't the high spots that you see today, wrestlers would work, you know, into their fifties and 60s. Wait, wait, what did you say? High spots? Yeah. That, that network that I am the host of the, uh, yeah. Classic Savoldi Wrestling Vault Library. That high spots. Highspots.com. Oh, the highspotsnetwork.com. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> oh, but anyway, go ahead to. Uh... Well, wrestlers will work into their fifties and sixties, and and now you know when you think of somebody that's forty, uh, you think of them as as on the the downside. But that oh, was. Wait a minute. Look at Shane McMahon coming back this past week on Monday Night Raw. He's, I don't know what his age is off the top of my head, but there's a, there's a lot of older personnel uh, wrestling there. Look at Tully Blanchard getting back in the ring in AEW. No, I'm just saying it in the, in the 70s and 80s, it was much more common to see people wrestling. I mean, that people weren't even getting... Nick Bockwinkle had the peak of his career when he was in his mid to late 40s and 50s. That was when he really had his run in the AWA. Well, he was in his 50s, like I said, when we were talking about uh, Vern. One of the main events was Nick and Vern. Nick was in his 50s. Vern was in his 60s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bruno losing the belt to Ivan Koloff at the Garden. The stories are you could hear a pin drop when Bruno lost the title. 21,000 people there. People were crying. I had never seen anything 
like this in my life. Uh, they didn't even hand Ivan Koloff the belt in the ring that night because they were afraid that the fans were going to uh, were going to riot there. So, and then in Bruno's second reign, when he lost the belt uh, to superstar Billy Graham, they had to do it out of New York. They did it in Baltimore, if I remember correctly, because they were also nervous about the the, the rioting that might have gone on. Bruno was an yeah. icon that had so many legions of fans. Even the Pope was a fan of his. Yeah, well, well, Bruno would be standing with the Pope, and they they'd say, "Who's the guy with Bruno?" I mean, that's. I, I mean that that's a testament to to that era, and as we talked about, people like Harley, people like Bruno, that made the fans believe. That you know, Bill. Even as you mentioned, some fans said, you know, we know it's fake except for the championship matches, and that's a credit to to that kind of talent. They made the fans believe. Oh yeah, and because they believed. Also, the first interview I ever did for my wrestling radio show in New York in the early '30s, and not the early '30s, 1963, not the early '30s, 1963, when I was doing my radio show in New York. I had gotten some press tickets, and this is in my book. Is wrestling fixed? I didn't know it was broken. Thank you. Um, but uh, I got an interview with Bruno for my radio show that I was doing, and I asked him, I said, is wrestling fixed? And he said, you know something? If this business is fixed, I wish they would tell me. And he went on to show me his cauliflower ears, the bone spurs that he had in his arm, and all the injuries that he, that he had. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. I ended the interview with, you know, Bruno. I think I could take you. He said, <laughs> oh he said "Where to the movies? To dinner? Where?" Coffee. Uh, let's wrap this up because uh, because we're going long. Ken, I just want to go back to one thing, and we'll close it out with this. You mentioned that when you interacted with Bruno and, and it was uh, 86, I guess it was, you could tell the relationship with Vince McMahon was strained. What kind of things did you see? Was it just attitude? Was it uh, just displeasure with the, the gimmicks? Um, yeah, I can't point to anything specific, but it, it was well known that it was strained. Uh, Bruno was not on the card at Pittsburgh and, and it was kind of solidified by the genuine surprise of some people when Bruno walked into the room at the old Pittsburgh arena that, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, he was one of the last people they expected. But like I said, he came to, to just see, you know, some of the, the agents, some of the boys, but not to, to promote the show and left well before the show started. Uh, you know, him accepting the hall of fame, Award. There's a long story about that that we have to do on the on the real hour show about Bruno San Martino. And follow VOC Nation on Twitter. Follow After One Wrestling, and we'll tell you exactly when that's going to be. But that's it for today, guys. Lots of great discussion on Harley Race, Bruno San Martino. Make sure that you get ready. We're going to launch premium.vocnation.com in the coming weeks with uh, audio and video commercial free shows of not just this show but our other voc nation shows and then in the second tier the six dollar tier you get exclusive content from the long and storied career of legendary pro wrestling journalist bill 
after. So stay tuned and we'll keep you all informed on vocnation.com. I want to wrap it up. Thank you uh, to Killer Ken Resnick and wonderful Willie the Legend Maker Bill after. Ken's got a basketball game that he's dying. Hockey. 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 Jeez. Sorry. I've got to go watch Superman and Lois. And I uh, got to go to bed. For Bill after, <laughs> Killer Ken Resnick, send us out, guys. Go, go Ken. Golfers. You go first. No, I, I wanted, I, I'm just saying it's Minnesota, Wisconsin, Big Ten Hockey Championship. Go Gophers. <laughs> right. Ken, you can finish my sentence. For the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, for Ken Resnick, this is Bill Apter saying we'll see you at the matches. Right here is the future of wrestling.